1: Welcome to the Heart of Innovation. 60 minutes that can save life and limb. With new breakthrough ideas and innovation, changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org. In partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation Emmy Award winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips.
2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. I have been looking forward to this show for more than a month, and actually... Ever since meeting this guest, uh, maybe about six months, almost a year ago, I have been waiting since then to even get to share him with you because he is so fascinating. Yeah, today is going to give you a glimpse of the future that is becoming the present and fast. Imagine swallowing a robot that your physician can control with a remote and navigate it through your intestinal tract or even inject it into your arteries to capture images of all of your vessels. Well, we do have the brainchild behind this new technology, Endiotics' Tori Smith, coming up in just a few moments. You don't want to miss how he came up with the idea. He is also going to share what he's learned from past projects, such as one that involved a device to remove plaque from arteries to improve blood flow in the legs, which he is applying now to make his new venture a success to not just potentially save limbs, but also lives. So John, I am so excited to talk to Tori coming up.
3: Yeah, this is this is gonna be interesting because yes, I love and you love as well having conversations about vascular issues and, and innovations along those lines. And perhaps this ultimately, you know, in the future will have a role there. But anytime we have an opportunity to to chat about just people that clearly think outside the box and and want to change The way we practice medicine and change the way, you know, humans interact with each other or whatever, I think is is awesome. And it has such a broad, broad uh, kind of scope for our listeners. So I'm I'm really, really excited about it. It, When you mentioned this and we were just chatting before the show, it reminds me of that movie Space with Dennis Quaid. And I think Martin Short from like the 1980s or whatever, where they're in a little like device inside somebody's body, just kind of moving around. Navigating so through. Who, who would have thought that potentially that is possible? It's, it's, it's really amazing.
2: It is. So it'll be really fun. And, and especially what I love is not just hearing about the invention, but getting into the mind of the inventor and how they think How the process by which they come up with something like this, because they have to reverse engineer some vision that they have. And so I like hearing the process by which they work backwards to actually make it happen.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, too. And I just finished listening to the audio book from Tim Grover called Winning. He's a a, um, a trainer, athletic trainer. He trained Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, and, and he's kind of the, the godfather of this way of training. And he just talks about people that think outside the box and are kind of deemed not crazy, but just so uncommon that that uh, a lot of times they're just told, hey, this can't happen. But they they just keep persevering, moving forward. They never stop trying to to get what is, you know, get that device out or or change that jump shot or whatever it is and so people like this change change the world so again going to be a great show
2: and i think it's all about how do you turn the crazy into common and that is the secret sauce that we can't wait to hear from tori but first i think we need a moment of inspiration
0: dr john phillips spectacular vascular moment of
3: inspiration, inspiration. Never gets old, <laughs> it, you know. I have to. I think see Tori's even to there. Say. He's
2: even laughing. <laughs> yeah, he's
3: like, "What?" And so this is a really short quote. Um, it, it's from the Greek philosopher uh, Heraclitus, and and he is is coined with saying the term or the phrase "change is the only constant in life." And I thought about change and th- I wanted a quote around that when we talk about robotics here. And I was doing a little bit of research and, and I was trying to figure out, you know, like well, who is the father of robotics or who's thought to be? And evidently, it's a Joseph Engelberger um, who, back in the 1940s and 50s, had uh, partnered up with uh, an inventor. And, and they ultimately came up with this robot that I think was used by General Motors on the assembly lines. And, you know, you fast forward to 2020 where it was, uh, I think, about 67 or 68 billion dollars was kind of spent in on robotics and medicine, aerospace, auto entertainment. And they're projecting about one hundred and sixty billion dollars within the robotics field in 2025. So clearly this is the future. And again, looking forward to the conversation with Tori.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering, I'm I'm looking where as we're broadcasting live on the radio, we also are on a video chat as well. And so we can see, you know, Tori and his reactions. And I'm just curious um, if if he's actually um, looked back and if he was inspired going all the way back to the very beginning of robotics and um, to where he is now and, and what he's doing now with actually taking robotics to a whole new level and actually swallowing, swallowing the robot.
3: We should
4: bring them on. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. (laughs) Well, hey, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think you have to put your robot where your mouth is at some point. Um, (laughs) I I, I was very, very inspired. And and Dr. Phillips, you might actually know the name. I'm I'm missing it right now. But there there was a doctor who was catheterizing himself in his garage uh, decades ago, developing some of the early catheter technology. Um, And I just figure... That is such a compelling way to show your stakeholders that you're serious about what you're doing. Yeah, the I, I, I'm not going to get it right,
3: but I know that historically, the first x-ray image of a catheter was done back in like the 40s or 50s, maybe, of the the, the interventional radiologist put the catheter in his arm himself and walked over and, and got an x-ray. So it, it, I think it's the first x-ray maybe ever, but this person had a catheter, catheter and it, it is really fascinating stuff. But again, it, it, like we've said, you just have to think outside the box and outside uh, multiple boxes to kind of come up with, with, with these ideas, right?
4: You know, some, sometimes uh, sometimes you have to, you know, let your creative juices flow. And it means that, you know, if you have a day job and you have to do design work for a living, like, you know, I was designing atherectomy catheters for the longest time and I would have all these crazy ideas and, I'm not that good at doing what I'm told. I, I want to be honest about that. And so I would be under constant pressure to deliver my basic job, you know, requirements. But I would have these ideas of how we could do the device of the future. And it got to the point with the atherectomy catheter that my boss was was telling me, Tori, if I catch you working on that weird cutter design again, I, I'm literally going to fire you. And so I would just come in like super late nights, weekends, because he really meant well. Like he really was trying to mentor me. And I would prototype this thing in my own way. And then on Mondays, I would show them, you know, I think this is compelling. I think we might have something here that might cut better. And uh, by, by showing someone a tangible prototype that shows that you've really done your homework on it, you can really win people over to your cause, but you have to be willing to, to put the work in. And, and then you, you also should have some kind of useful function beyond just crazy raw prototyping.
2: You do sound like Warner Furzman. and he's the one I think you're talking about. He, his boss, actually forbade him from actually experimenting with the um, catheter on himself, and so he went ahead and did it anyway, and was successful.
3: <laughs> so we've yeah. got about what a minute a minute to break, but I think when we come back, Kim, we should I want to hear Terry like how you got started. You mentioned we share um uh, the, or we share the athletic me kind of world in the sense that you created advice that uh, I would ultimately use and and our paths may have actually crossed at at your former employer uh, when I went to visit their their, uh, office and and watch them put this catheter together. And then we'll just kind of hear your whole story from then into ultimately now, right? Sounds great.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.
0: Hello, I am neither one of those. This is producer Mike reminding you, you can call in now. The number is 888-367-5329. That's 888 367 5329. And now it's Kim and Dr. John.
2: Our producer, Mike. We're going to keep him him every Saturday.
0: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I know what I'm doing
3: Saturdays. Yes, indeed. You (laughs) know, what we're doing right now is we're having a fantastic conversation with Tori Smith, who started a new company that ultimately wants to create a little pill bot uh, to what, Tori, the And I I think we're going to get into your history with respect to atherectomy, but the device that you're developing right now, I'm assuming is to be used for GI issues with patients similar to another kind of pill that's out there.
4: Yeah, that's right. So we we initially are just a moving eyeball in your stomach. Uh, You basically drink a bunch of water and we have this little robot pill that can swim around inside your temporarily bag of water stomach. And uh, the goal is, just for millions of endoscopy patients, we think we might be able to have that quick look around inside you without ever having you go to the hospital, right? But this this all began for me when I saw the movie Inner Space as a kid with Dennis Quaid and Martin Short, and I just was blown away by that. And so I've kind of spent the rest of my life trying to make what I've seen in movies like that and in science fiction uh, in real in some kind of way.
2: But you so and I you- met over arteries, right? And we had talked a little bit about your your work in, in the arterial space. You had developed um, or helped develop a plaque removal device, you know, for the arteries. And you and I met on LinkedIn. And we both shared that common passion for that disease, peripheral artery disease, um, which is the restricted blood flow in the legs uh, due to plaque buildup and there are a lot of folks out there that are developing different devices that can actually remove some of the plaque in the legs. But also there are some that do it in the heart as well. And you were one of the pioneers um, in this space and, and helping to develop that. And so um, that's actually in our conversation. I, I heard about this pill bot, the pill you swallow. But I'm also just I think that people would love to hear um, you know some of your experience that you had in developing Um, that plaque removal device that ultimately gave you the experience and the know-how that brought you to where you are today to take your inventing prowess to the whole new level.
4: Absolutely, right. So I'm chasing my science fiction dreams, and I figured the way to do that was become an aerospace engineer. And then towards the end of college, uh, I had gotten really into how to make things, machining, casting, molding, welding and I found my way into the medical device startup world because I just loved how you would come up with an idea, build it, test it, and take it to the clinic. Um, it, it was this tight design cycle that was just seductive to an engineer. And then to actually, you know, in the case of atherectomy, look, we have so many examples of where the tech, it doesn't work well, or you don't do good on a particular day. But sometimes you go into a cath lab and you're looking at a gray leg and it's actually scheduled for amputation and they let you put your prototype device in in a very carefully controlled IRB trial and the tech works, you open up the blood flow, the leg goes pink and the doctor tells you to your face, we're not going to cut grandma's leg off today, they Th- those moments you you dreamed for those moments, uh, you know you just want to get a couple of those in your career, right? Um, hopefully, we can get more.
3: And that's that's I really enjoy what you just said because the interaction with us as physicians and interventionalists and you guys as engineers, they it kind of coalesces at that moment in the cath suite when we are opting to use one of your devices. And kind of let it, uh, you know, get its sea legs, so to speak, and see if it works. Because there's a lot of, we in our, our institute, we have a lot of folks come in to visit with us and, hey, can you check, try this wire or this cap or whatever. And I love that interaction with engineers because you guys make this stuff and then we get to kind of play with it. And then it gets iterated a little bit and ultimately out to the masses.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and the engineering process, the R and D process is, is a, is a process of continuous failure. You know, your, your life as an R and D engineer is work, working on technology that doesn't work and you do it 99 times in a row. And the, 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 by the time it finally starts to kind of work the way you hope to, you are almost to the end of your journey because the instant it works the way you think it should, then you go to the clinic if, if, if it's appropriate, legal, ethical. Um, and then you you suddenly face all the clinical challenges and you're back to the thing doesn't work at all again. And then you work with doctors. Finally, at the end of that process, you know, we can create tools that can actually improve and save human lives. But it, it's a process of years and it's a process of collaboration from from doctors, to engineers and even the patients that are willing to take part in these trials. That's like
3: Edison when they asked him how many times he failed with his light bulb. He said, I didn't fail. I just, uh, you know, I had to try something different a thousand times.
2: He just got a comment from uh, a listener, um, Marie, who says, please create something that can just go up and down my arteries and clear them daily so I can stop going through all of these surgeries and this pain. I think we got a challenge going on here, Tori.
4: My, my goodness. I. Like our goal, my my personal goal is I see a path where we can take the concept of robot pills down an order of magnitude and scale. I think we can make them rice grain sized, either wireless power, possibly nuclear power. But the goal is to make tiny robots that that really are tiny that would be capable of traveling anywhere in the body, right? Use, use the arteries and veins as a superhighway system, um, but then cut your way through layers of tissue. Like maybe just leave a tissue tract similar to what a needle puncture would leave, right? But in, I think it was 2007 when I finally lost my aunt Katie to a glioblastoma, a brain tumor, and it, doctors were describing, you know, this isn't just like a lump of cancer that you go remove. It's kind of like a slime mold working its way through your brain. And I just thought, gosh, if we're going to cut the top of your skull off, put it in a steel pan, go in with scalpels and tools and try to cut some of the cancer away, put you back together, then hit you with radiation and chemo. Yeah, I understand why the prognosis is so terrible. But what if we could have a fleet of tiny robots just carefully and methodically working you know, around the periphery of the thing, carefully trying to decide you know, what is disease, what is healthy? It, if we can give doctors better tools, I think that we can improve the lives of patients. Right. And ultimately, we're all patients. We're all humans.
2: Wow. That is a really great visual. And I, I love the way you describe it, because I could almost imagine um that, that is possible. I mean, we see so many examples of it just in, even in real life. But, you know, as Marie was mentioning, I mean, why couldn't there just be a little robot that they could just inject that they could teach it? Okay, don't go down the collateral vessels, stay within the, the artery, you know, stay along the, the main superhighway, right? The, the arteries and veins, and just keep circling and circulating, and just keep munching away, right? Like there are <laughs> enzymes that that do. Oh, come on! I know, Doctor Phillips.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm this is a pleasant to this out is, of a job. I know, but this is a pleasant <laughs> fiction. I love it. <laughs> well, actually,
2: yeah, there I'll- are enzymes that actually do eat away at the plaque. So why couldn't we emulate one of those enzymes that eats away at the plaque and and create it into a little robot?
4: You know, actually I, I'll try to find the name of the company, but I actually had a, a, a group of founders call me up um, and, and say they were working on a robotic device that, that is very similar to what you're describing, which is basically a atherectomy catheter in the form of a very small capsule that can navigate arteries. And uh, this, this was a few years ago, so I'd, I'd need to look up the name of that team. But they called me up and I, I just said, oh, my goodness, if I can support you in any way, let me know. Um, and that's kind of a segue into, you know, the world of venture capital and funding a startup. This is where when when someone sees how rudimentary our pillbot is in the human stomach, I mean, it's just in the human stomach. It's just an eyeball that swims around and people asking, you know, why doesn't it do more? Why doesn't it go other places? I have to say, well, well, the reason for that is that in order to raise money, I have to convince groups of investors that we can make an actual product that could go treat an actual disease in a real patient population. And so PillBot is just the first step. I I hope that there are many more steps.
2: We're going to hear more about that coming up in just a moment on The Heart of Innovation. So stay with
3: us.
2: peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients, and we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our leg saver hotline 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend
1: on it. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist, Kim McNicholas, and interventional cardiologist, Dr. John Phillips.
3: Welcome back, everybody. We're continuing our fascinating conversation with Tori Smith, brains behind endiotics and the Pillbox. So, Tori, tell us about... When you know when you decided that all right, I'm moving on from athrectomy, I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to try to create that inner space fantasy and turn that into reality.
4: Well, Doctor Phillips, I wish I could tell you that I just dropped out of college, founded the company, and boom, here we are. But in reality, like anyone else, um, you suffer from imposter syndrome. You you feel like you're not good enough. You look out at the founders who are successful and you compare yourself to them. <laughs> The bottom line is I spent four years sketching just the logo for Endiotics while working my day jobs, you know, doing medical device design. And it's funny because once I took that plunge and went to Founder Institute, where they, you know, they can take almost anyone who's got an idea, you know, I spent four years sketching the logo and we're just about coming up on the four-year mark of actually incorporating the company. And so I spent just as much time dreaming as I actually have spent building this company. And the way you do it is you ask for help. You know, in those four years, I, I thought like I wasn't smart enough or good enough at electronics or programming. I'm, I'm a great mechanical designer, but that's, that's just part of it. I finally realized you don't have to be perfect to go chase your dreams. You can be savagely imperfect. Just be perseverance. And that's that was the big life lesson. Um, nowadays, I'm usually not the smartest person in the room, and that's the right room for me to be in. Yeah. And so
3: you took it. Yeah, go ahead.
2: Ended up capturing people's attention because I can imagine with every single Silicon Valley company, there's always 99 no's before you get that one. Yes. And I'm curious, before you got that one, yes. What was the difference between the no's and the yeses? What was that catalyst for finally that right? that yes, was it something you said different or you learned along the way from the nose, or was it just the right person or a combination of both?
4: You know, the funny thing is I, I still wear the $5 sport coat I bought at a thrift store in 2019. I've, I've been I've pitched the company at least a thousand times. Yeah. Uh, if we count angels and VC funds, we've been rejected by hundreds of frontier health tech VC funds. Um, ultimately, we've had seven say yes to us and we've had dozens and dozens of... Of Angel investors and they really are angels believe in you, but the very first group of people that believed in us were actually Artists from from the Burning Man world where my many of my friends had become kind of famous at Burning Man building giant Tesla coils that shoot lightning in the desert and When when we finally decided like hey, let's go back to Silicon Valley and take the magic back there um, and let's build robot pills it was all the burning man artists that we had become friends with that believed in us before traditional vcs or investors would be able to so
3: you ultimately get you you leave the atherectomy world you get a core group of people together and what like how does that so you just start prototyping and you (laughs) yeah and like how big is this pill when it start like the size of my pen here at some point and now obviously it's pretty smaller so walk us through that journey
4: Right. So, so we start with a football size prototype using a type of electronics you can get on Amazon called Raspberry Pi or Arduino. This is the kind of thing you could make a science fair project out of. And that was big because it was, it was tangible. We could say, Hey, we're going to make robotic hardware. We're going to make it smaller. Are you willing to invest now? Most people say no. Some people say yes. You know, from there, we were able to go to a size that was kind of Red Bull can size. Our technology for a long time was kind of quadcopter style with four little thrusters. Um, You can differentially fire them, get some really organic motions. And so we just kept making it smaller. We we just took whatever resources we had at the time and just took the next step down. You know, as of today, we're actually the size of a of a normal pill camera. Like there are pill cams that are bigger than us. Uh, There are some that are a little skinnier, but you know, we finally have achieved the size. And so it's just been a long iterative process over many years. I mean, we're in year four now. So
3: um, yeah. real quick, like that pill, you showed the pill camera, right? What 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 differentiates you guys from that? And then is your device, and I think I know the answer to this, your device, just that first step towards the devices of the future that ultimately do more things than just, you know, hang out in our GI tract?
4: So we're standing on the shoulders of two giants right now. So the first would be the original given imaging crew that first created a pill that was swallowed in 1997. And so we're about 25 years after that. People have been swallowing passive devices for a long time. And they've carved out about a 1% use case scenario in the in the world of gastroenterology, uh, which is a little sad, right? Like we hoped pill cameras would kind of displace Endoscopies and colonoscopies, but they found a niche in the small bowel, which is really hard to reach. From there, though, uh, there's a there's a group in China called Anx Robotica that that make a product called Navicam, um, and this thing actually moves around in your stomach magnetically. Um, so so you can actually get a, a live, active endoscopy in your stomach using this amazing tech. Um, they just lie you on a bed. I think you drink some water, they lie you on a bed and they just roll this machine over and it manipulates magnetic fields to create like a moving eyeball in the stomach. If if we're doing anything unique, I, I think it would be, our mission is to make robots that can move under their own power from anywhere in the world. So we really want to make this a telemedicine thing where you could you could be in your living room and your doctor could treat you over a Zoom call. I think that's kind of our central value proposition.
2: So what's, at what point I'm, I'm imagining that you tested this on yourself first, because we established already you're kind of that Werner Forceman, right, that we talked about in the beginning of the show, that you are willing to be your own guinea pig. So first off, I'm imagining you were the first, right?
4: Oh, yeah. So June 17, 2020, about 18 months in.
2: And you went through the sizes. What size was the first one you swallowed?
4: The first one that we swallowed was about 13 millimeter diameter. It was, it was about 30, 31 millimeters length. Um, it, it was actually pretty reasonably small. The problem was it it sank like a stone. Um, we didn't have neutral buoyancy at that time. And so we'd be driving around on the bottom of our stomachs. We would make floaty packs, which were useful in doing cadaver studies. But getting to neutral buoyancy in a, in a package the size of your fingertip, that took a uh, a fair amount of effort. And that's what the year 2022 was all about. Like, Sorry
3: to interrupt, but just so like the listeners understand, and I understand it, obviously, so your stomach has fluid in it and you need, you need to be floating in that, that fluid as opposed to just sinking into onto the lining of the stomach. Is that right?
4: Yeah, we want to look everywhere. So for a patient, if your belly hurts, uh, just get on a Zoom call, drink a bunch of water. I hope you skipped your breakfast. Like we asked you to swallow the pill and just watch your doctor take a little fantastic voyage around your stomach (laughs) that's awesome
2: (laughs) well coming up right here on the heart of innovation we're going to hear more about his experience and experiments in bringing this technology to reality so stay with us
6: hi i'm jennifer Jimeno. i am the clinical research manager with palm vascular centers in south florida with this week's medical notepad. At Palm Vascular Centers, we offer safe, minimally invasive and effective techniques and treatments for vascular disease. Our research department has a robust number of clinical trials offering cutting edge technology to our patients. Let's talk about research. So research and innovation is moving at the speed of light when it comes to the treatment of peripheral artery disease, which is the restricted blood flow in mainly the leg arteries. And clinical trials are happening around the world. Thousands of patients are benefit from all this. One might even be happening at your healthcare facility. It's important to ask your vascular specialist what trials they are involved and if you might be a candidate. Your vascular specialist may even approach you about a clinical trial for a new tool or technique they're involved in before a procedure to restore the blood flow in your arteries. How do you know if you should participate in clinical trials? Well, ultimately, it's up to you, the patient, because at the end of the day, there might be risks you have to weigh against the benefits. You never have to worry about your physician's feelings if you decide it's not right for you, because it's your leg and your life. They understand and will respect your decision, but they will offer all the options they have available to potentially save your legs. Here are some questions to ask your physician about any clinical trial to help you make an informed decision about whether a trial might be right for you. What is the purpose of the trial? What are the possible side effects or risk of the new treatment? What are the possible benefits? How do the possible risks and benefits of this trial compare to those of the standard treatment? How long will I be in the trial? What kind of tests and treatments are involved? How will the doctor know if the treatment is working? How will I be told about the trial results? Always make sure you're well informed. Ask for any documents, articles, and flyers about the trial. And get copies of the informed consent if you decide to join the trial. With this week's medical notepad, I'm Jennifer Jimeno with Palm Vascular Centers in South Florida. If you want to find out more about periphery artery disease, go to standagainstamputation.com. And if you want real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org.
1: Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org once again here's Emmy award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist dr. John Phillips
3: welcome back everybody so Tori continue let's continue the conversation you, you the first device that you showed us was you know however many millimeters long and now you're at a smaller one how long did that take how did you guys quote unquote test it out and did you have any fun? Testing it out with your buddies, and or and did you do any of this stuff at Burning Man?
4: <laughs> so so that's on point, right? Like we we started to get the thing functional in June of 2020, and due to COVID, Burning Man got canceled. But we we're all like hardcore you know burners that love to go out to the playa, and people are keeping their distance. So we go out there with a bunch of robots, and we bring a big UV cure station, a lathe that fit in the van, 70 pound lithium pack, and we just start building robots on the open playa. And people start walking up to us. And so I start swallowing robots and handing out Xbox controllers. And we basically just (laughs) call it Golden Racing 5000. (laughs) What?
2: (laughs) This is incredible. So you're sitting there in the sand and with dust storms all around you outside the van. And you guys are inside building these robots that that you're just popping them. Are other people popping them as well?
4: Uh, That would be inappropriate. So for the founding team, like I've swallowed 15 of these robots. Um, Two of my other co-founders have swallowed three each. And then let's just say the other three I put in my body were addressing the colonoscopy market.
2: (laughs) So that actually brings it to Debbie's point. What if you can't swallow it? Um, Going retro? Is that another option?
4: so we we have to look at the pill camera population right so about about five percent of patients will look at a pill camera and say you know doc i'm I, I don't feel like I can swallow that and that's where if we were going to look in your esophagus or your stomach or your duodenum that's where you go straight to an endoscopy so we'll we'll sedate you we'll make you unconscious and then we'll go have that look um I wanted initially to make robots that you could go either way. And we we have done crazy things like contra-rotating corkscrew geometry. But let's just say that it's hard to 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 claw your way through a slimy flesh tube. And having tied pig intestines and in horrible scary knots with this like crawly screw ge- geometry, we just decided, hey, if you drink a bunch of water, you temporarily make a part of your body navigable to robots like this. So that's where we're focused right now, but we very much want to see this go beyond. And who knows what those robots are going to look like? So, what about
3: in the like obstetrics world? Is there any role for assessing a fetus, or you know, the
4: movement sure. I or anything like that? So, let's go back to 1901. Right, that, that's many people consider that to be the the first uh, use of of an endoscope was actually uh, an optical device that was inserted, inserted into a uterus. To, to check out, you know, a, a, a baby, right? And so and, endoscopy traces its way back to that very field. Um, I think that as we make this technology smaller and smaller, it becomes relevant in, in that area for sure. We're also interested in, you know, going up the urethra into the bladder, up the ureters to the kidneys. Maybe we could bust up kidney stones with some fancy uh, RF or laser. Uh, th- this is a very exciting world. We just want to take the first step. And so the other question I had real quick, sorry, Kim, is
3: this sounds like it's really expensive, but evidently it's not as expensive as I thought,
4: right? It's it's kind of funny. Like we, we build these robots from off the shelf parts, right? We use cell phone vibrator motors. We take the weights off. Those cost like 40 cents each. The camera right now is 70 cents. Our whole system, including our little USB dongle is maybe 50 bucks and If you look at the CPT reimbursement codes for a passive pill camera, I think that's 500. Uh, There's a magnetic camera reimbursement around 800. Bottom line is, I think we have a good business model built in. But our goal is just for a patient to take several months of trips to the hospital and just compress that into a fancy Zoom call.
2: And so I'm just here. So I just want to be clear that so. What makes you guys different and how is how this is controlled. And you have tested this out with literally an Xbox game controller.
4: Xbox nailed it, right? Video games uh, have figured out how people like to control things. And so I, I think we'll ultimately go to just a touchscreen app on an iPhone just to dematerialize everything possible. Um, but for now, the the world of Xbox or or any game controller is just perfect for us.
2: And I'm assuming you've been on stage and you've actually had to do this live. So I'm guessing that, you know, during one of your your pitches on stage at a big conference that you have your gut literally showcased up on a screen. Can you bring us back to maybe, um, you know, one of those experiences and and how that went about? Did it go perfect?
4: So it's summer 2021. I'm on stage at the MGM Grand in front of hundreds of doctors and I'm swallowing oh. this much bigger prototype, drinking water like crazy to get it to go down my throat. We have, we have our UV curing station on the stage with my you know my whole crew, and we managed to get a device put together right as my slides are finished. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I swallow the thing, uh, we're getting no radio signal, there's no pairing, and then a doctor from the audience says, you're holding the antenna in the wrong position, and, and I just say, come on up, and she she jumped up moved the antenna imperceptibly to me. And all of a sudden, boom, we have live video and my CTO is driving it around in my stomach. She actually joined our advisory board after that. We were super grateful.
3: (laughs) So fast forward, let's say five years, 10 years, where do you think you guys are going to be? Let's say five years from now, where do you want to be?
4: All right. So five years from now, I want PillBot to be a mature product that has, gone through IRB trials and FDA and is now in the market everywhere in the world treating hundreds of million, you know, millions of patients, right? We are racing to two moments in time. That's going to be the first time a doctor tells us, look, I was looking for a stomach lesion, but I found a stomach cancer in time to cure it. You just saved a life. I want that the first time. Then I want to hear that the hundred thousandth time. And then I'm going to feel that PillBot is a mature technology. So what comes after PillBot? That's pill surgeon, right? Pill surgeon adds some robot arms, some needles. Let's do microbiome sampling, transplants. Let's do targeted drug delivery. You know, let's take tissue samples. And then after pill surgeon, let's go micro, right? Let's try to leave the GDI trap. Let's go other places.
2: We do have two questions that came in, one from Susan. Can a person who has had resections in a small intestine swallow one of these?
4: That's a very important question. So for us, we need to follow the contraindications like the exclusion criteria for a normal pill camera. So if your doctor says you're safe to swallow a pill camera, ultimately, we should be able to be safe to swallow a pill bot. Right now, I would probably lean towards no, because any kind of diverticulitis or history of surgery in there is gonna make things complicated. However, it really is gonna be up to your doctor. And uh, this is where we would need to let your gastro kind of guide the, guide the conversation.
2: And one more quick question, quick answer before we go to break. How long is this device designed to stay in the body once it's in there? And where does it exit? We kind sure. of you know the answer.
4: Two-part answer. We're, we're active for five to 10 minutes in the stomach, maybe 15, just because that's the length of time a doctor manipulates their endoscope when they do your upper. Then we shut it down and let the body passively move it out over, you know, say 24 hours. Um, but uh, when, when, <laughs> when it comes out, you just flush the darn thing. It's a single use disposable. It's going to get caught in the screen at the sewage plant and it'll go to the landfill.
2: Right here on The Heart of Innovation, we'll have more Victoria Smith.
1: Stay with us. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips
3: welcome back everybody we have a few minutes left and i, I keep saying this every week but uh, this show is more interesting than the last one i mean it's fantastic but real quick any concerns about nefarious use of this device i mean i guess when it does exit the body does it shut off or it self-destruct or anything i mean, it's not gonna self-destruct but any thought any concerns about that
4: you know, John, that's a, that's a great question. I, I mean, if we look at modern, you know, new, if we look in the news, we see drones being used in the, in the war in Ukraine to uh, incredible effect. And so there's very much a question of, you know, if we're making sophisticated, crazy, futuristic robotic hardware, could it be used to do harm? Uh, what I can say first of all is that I'm not here to pass judgment on the engineers and founders out there in the world. Um, but I will say that I, I did go on LinkedIn and publicly state that endiotics is going to make technology for healing and we're going to, you know, ourselves stay out of the business of doing harm. Uh, we're going to try to make healing technology. I I would say that it, it it's going to take me years to get this into like a real patient. Um, if if someone wanted to, to harm someone, there are certainly other ways, but, um, all I can say is that we're, we're entering a new era with with our high tech, and I hope that this ecosystem can come together and figure out how to do it right. And as well,
2: they start sprouting tools, are you going to be one of the first ones that's going to allow one of these pill bots to sprout needles and tissue gathering tools inside of you?
4: Honestly, I, I'll be honest with you. As a founder, I have to go raise money and I have to find people willing to believe in our team. And a big part of that is demos, right? So I, I think I might actually do a tissue sampling inside my stomach, possibly towards the end of this year. Um, but uh, we would have a bunch of docs on standby just to make sure tiny little, like a cubic millimeter of tissue is often enough to, to get the job done. How do you retrieve that is a, is a very interesting question.
2: Yeah, that will be interesting. But um, putting their name behind you, it seems, is a very, very um, big changemaker here in medicine, the Mayo Clinic. Tell us about that deal.
4: What happened is we we ended up making really good friends with uh, their chief gastroenterologist, uh, just informally. And uh, within five minutes of, of being on the cell phone call, uh, Dr. Kumbari said, you know what, this this is my dream. He's actually younger than I am and and 20 years younger than any other head of their GI program. So he's, he's very forward thinking, high energy, very creative. And He said that at the beginning of his academic career in gastro, he saw a video of robots in the in the GI tract. And so when we said this is our mission, he said, how can I help? And so we've just been formalizing that relationship, making sure that it's an appropriate use of of personnel and names. You know, the business entities involved uh, take these names very seriously. So we want to be respectful of that. Uh, but at this point, we put together a scientific advisory board that, that has all the, the top gastros in the world. So they're just waiting for me to give them technology that's worthy of an IRB trial.
3: Well, with that said, Tori, thank you so much for being on our show. This has been really intriguing. We look forward to seeing the pill bot and uh, maybe Kim, we're going to get you to you know swallow that bad boy at Burning Man sometime soon.
2: Actually, you know what? I'm fully game for it.
1: You've been listening to The Heart of Innovation with Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips.